1: and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators.
0: This is FinTech 2022 success success stories. Um, It's with Rudy Fila and David Jakovic, and I will drop down to the bottom and leave it up both to you and any other information you guys want to introduce.
1: Brilliant, thank you very much, Rachel, for the kind introduction. David and I will talk about what we call fintech 22 success stories a critical view by us we are both hosts of voice of fintech podcast I'm based in Zurich and Switzerland David's based in New York let him introduce himself and uh, I spent a lot of time working in the US and uh, UK Switzerland now in finance financial services and I've been mentoring advising and investing in startups last couple of years and I started a voice of fintech podcast so what we do in the podcast, we talk to founders, investors, ecosystem hub leaders, and corporate innovators. And the last group that doesn't really belong anywhere that we cover are thought leaders. Around the world, we also have hosts based in Asia, in Africa, and in LATAM. And uh, this has been going on for uh, more than uh, two, two and a half years, so since June 2019. And we do live events as well, sometimes using the video, sometimes the audio. And we love Fishbowl because the crowd here is very professional. Uh, We see that uh, people are quite experienced as well, knowledgeable about the topics. So if you, during the chat today, you have some questions that you want to ask us, you can send us a message on Fishbowl. We will do our best to check it and answer it live, or you can raise your hand, we can let you speak. Remember that we will be recording this because we'd like to release it as a podcast episode as well in the next couple of days for the people who couldn't join us today. So, uh, I, David, uh, why don't you say something about yourself to the people who haven't heard you perhaps before, even though this is uh, probably a, a, a smaller and smaller crowd every time we do this, hopefully.
0: Thanks, Rudy. Really appreciate it. And hello, everyone. Great to join you. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Uh, From New York City, where we're having a delicious blistering 21 degree Fahrenheit and our uh, snowy, cold winter bomb is going to be happening this weekend. So enjoying the weather, a little different than Puerto Rico, where I was just in the last week, uh, enjoying some vacay and meeting some of the Crypto Island folks. So excited to be here, talk about all things fintech and maybe crypto
1: all right. Well, wonderful. Uh, always uh, jealous about your travel because I, you know, I travel as well a little bit, but not as much. And, uh, we're going to talk about metaverse, where you can easily travel uh, from uh, from your chair to another country if you like. But uh, before we get there, I wanted to kick off uh, by how we're going to approach it, and uh, we look at the news from the last month or so and try to find the themes that could be interesting for fintech and we take fintech as broadly as possible so fintech is not just a payment app or a forex uh, transfer app or something like this but frankly i agree with comment of one of the vc investors in this space who says in the future every company will be a fintech i would say maybe except for life sciences but other than that everything can be seen as a fintech company so Today, what we'd like to talk about is broadly four big themes or topics. First one is gaming and fintech or metaverse. XI, which is explainable AI. And then recent crypto crash and uh, potential end of insurtech revolution. Let's see. So let's start talking about the one of the biggest deals of the year so far, or, you know, last uh, 12 months um it's the deal that microsoft announced uh, buying or going into uh buying an activision so going into uh, gaming space more than ever of course you probably know microsoft also owns xbox but uh, now they've decided to go big time after the games publisher as well activision is a, a company that is behind the call of duty that you can find on uh, playstation or other platforms world of warcraft or candy crush on your mobile and uh, maybe some of you play that or your kids play that either way we're going to talk about the demographics of gamers as well but what happened is that this is a of course just an announcement it's signed uh, but not closed yet and that's actually a big question mark it can take maybe even up to 18 months to go through all the regulatory approvals to get the deal done but this is a 68 dollar. 68 billion dollar acquisition that Microsoft is going to do. Now on the news their biggest competitor Sony behind the PlayStation their share price dropped by 13% on the worries that it might be just uh, outflanked but uh, frankly it rebounded uh, within 24 hours similarly as the other uh, publishers of games uh, share gains were wiped out in 24 hours. So I would pause here and see what do you think, David, about, well, first of all, strategically about this move of Microsoft. Second, what about these market reactions? You know, like the traders will sell off the Sony, and then in 24 hours, we are back where we were. You
0: know, I think about uh, all the games in the market, right? And we think back even to the last few years. And uh, remember that uh, Roblox has gone through so much, right, with their own... Uh, Acquisitions and and being in that space as well, and and I believe uh, Microsoft's had a lot of uh, interest as well uh, with 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 Roblox, right? And there's been a lot of companies out there that were seeing these acquisitions, and it's interesting, right? You look at even before Roblox, like Minecraft. You know, uh, Minecraft was bought from Microsoft for 2.5 billion. Roblox is still, I think, on on the market, Um, but it's, it's so fascinating to see. How as a result of living in a life that's been all online the last couple of years, everything takes on the movement so quick of its own. As you said, playing Candy Crush, playing uh, uh, Call of Duty, it can happen in real time and you can connect with everyone. And that's why, you know, right now the world's going through its newest fad of gaming, Wordle. I don't know about you. Are you playing Wordle, Rudy? It's been been going viral in New York and, and L.A. recently.
1: No, but uh, I will after this, so uh, thank you for taking a, a bigger dent in my time, but uh, great great stuff, no problem. So Still I will look will into this. I not tell you the
0: wordle of the day, but I uh, look forward to, to you getting involved there.
1: Oh, brilliant. So I saw a quote here from Neil Kaplan, he's a tech analyst in Mirobot Security, saying that 15 years ago we had around 200 million gamers around the world. And now you've got around 2.7 billion or Microsoft says 3 billion, right? So unbelievable numbers. Uh, Obviously this was helped by the pandemic, but uh, it looks like it's here to stay. And, um, you know, but let's let's double down on this, you know, 13% dent in the Sony's share price. I mean, was this an overreaction Are the traders now too nervous or what's going on? I think this is a little bit too much, um, you know, speaking as a Sony fan.
0: You know, I think when we're we're looking at different platforms, right, like Sony and and Microsoft and and Apple and Nintendo, I think the change in market share going on right now, it's a little too soon to know. Because we've seen a lot of these mini uh, movements of the volatility of stock price happen in the last decade. So... I'm not one to say yet what is occurring in the market. I think there's some nerves. I think there's some liquidity. There's some movement of capital. It's too soon to tell if it's a Sony item, if it's a market item, or certain industry.
1: Well, I mean, they they recovered, and as I said, the publishing, uh, the game publishers uh, shares actually dropped back again after a couple of days or within 24 hours. So interesting the other thing is what the journalists and the media and the analysts were trying to figure out what is this about right the microsoft is saying this is about metaverse uh some people say well this is just a continuation of console games even though some people say well in uh, next couple of generations we'll get rid of consoles and we'll have such good computers nobody will need the console ever let's see um Apparently Google and Amazon tried to create their own game studios. It didn't really work out. So Microsoft and Sony are the leaders now subject to the approvals of regulators that the deal will close between Microsoft and Activision. And then, of course, the eyes are on the one of the other game publishers. The biggest one left out there is EA. So let's see what happens there. Now, what does that mean for fintech? And what does that mean for finance? Because first of all, you know, a lot of people think games are only for young people. Apparently, there's research out there that out of that nearly 3 billion people or gamers worldwide in the United States, uh, an estimated 64% of adults are gamers. So, of course, they probably will be a bit younger than, uh, than you know, maybe uh, people who go to live classical music and, and you know things like that, where there is another issue with the demographics and the concert halls before pandemic, we're trying to find solutions how to uh, be more attractive for younger audience. But in any case, uh, it's not just for young people, the gaming is for everyone. And uh, what does that mean? Uh, I wanted to quote a couple of examples here uh, related to fintech which I think are pretty cool. Um, I, I would like to reach out to Gabby Dizon from the Philippines, who started a video card game called Axie in 2018. And uh, in this card, you have to pay to play. And uh, some of and he saw that some of the fi- some Filipinos couldn't afford it, so he lent them his Axie's cards, so per, you know, so players could play, and uh, they would pay him back from their returns right so it's it's kind of like uh, really creating a mini bank um or an investment bank within that uh within that uh, other uh virtual environment or a game which is uh, i think pretty cool now of course the metaverse predates crypto and virtual reality um there are there is some research out there maybe about the San Francisco startup called Linden lab which introduced second life I don't know if David you know it but um uh, again as the name suggests it's uh it's a platform which which lets you interact in the form of digital avatars and there is no built-in conflict or drama or fight it's just really a, a second life um now of course with the blockchain coming into play and the NFTs There are many blockchain companies creating decentralized versions of Second Life. And uh, you can not only interact with avatars, but also with NFTs and uh, you can trade with those. So um, how cool would that be? But maybe one other example or an issue in this space is that look, who is running things here? What is the governance, right? And uh, there are some uh, companies who are at creating player-owned protocols, even though you know this is another buzzword and it's decentralized organizations. And uh, apparently, of course, as it happens with the uh, early stage innovation, there are also cases when the things don't work out. So one of those examples is Constitution DAO that hasn't worked out. Apparently, the group raised around 50 million in Ether to buy an original copy of the US Constitution But when it lost its bit the dao software wasn't able to return the money to its members so i'll just pause here uh david do you have any examples or views or comments on creating financial transactions within the game environment of course you can talk about roblox as well right Uh, how creators there can create avatars and get paid for this that's one thing um, you know all kinds of other things. So, uh, where do you see the the biggest uh, ha- the biggest uh, progress being made in this space?
0: Yeah. So thinking about the different ideas that you presented, from Axie Infinity to Constata- Constitution DAO to others in the gaming space, I wanted to highlight those two, and then one that I think presents a lot of opportunity. Uh, so, so first, Axie Infinity. Look, Axie Infinity has been known on the space as being exciting because of creating financial liquidity uh, for different populations that don't traditionally have uh, the same levels of income as you would see in other countries, uh, namely the Philippines. And the issue with Axie Infinity is that the market has completely collapsed and imploded on itself as much as happened in the NFTs market? So uh, Axie Infinity's price, once as high as almost $160 per token, is now hovering under 60. And the smooth love potion, which is what was traded in the game that a lot of players played with, at once as high as like 35 cents a share, now down to one cent a share. So it's no longer sustainable to actually play to live uh, in the game. Uh, But it does beg the question, you know, are there games where people can make a living? We we know prior to the pandemic how Fortnite became all the rage. And and there are games where where players do successfully uh, work and live. So that's something to emerge and to see. And I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Now, let's hold a thought on Web3 Gaming. So we're going to come back to that after I share some thoughts on Constitution Day. So Constitution Day... Brilliant idea, right? I actually have a friend who bidded in on it as well. He's part of the whole collective. We're going to win a copy of the Constitution. Little do we know that a hedge fund uh, quant manager is going to buy it for $50 million approximately and displace us. So it's there's the opportunity that you don't win a bid, right? It's the same thing if you go to the floor auction house at Christie's or Sotheby's and you bid for uh, a Picasso, right? You may not win that artwork. I think the challenge becomes what happens with the gas fees and the assets that you lock up you should get it back where is the accountability where is the governance hello this is a DAO. it promises to have better governance and legal structures that are decentralized so i think we're still gonna have to see how that's gonna um, unfold in the coming months for sure
1: yeah that must have been disappointing but uh look uh, let's stay optimistic of course these are hopefully just uh early uh, early stage development issues, and we'll sort it out. Uh, the concepts are, are I think are great, but uh, the execution is another thing. Now, as I mentioned before, we are hosts of Voice of Fintech, so we will use this as a recording as well. And there in the show notes, I'll post the links to the articles where you can read a little bit more about what we talk about here. So, for example, Goldman Sachs also produced a uh, an interesting report called framing the future of web 3.0 metaverse edition and uh, there i think there were some great examples of how you can actually within the within the game maybe not make a living where this is where sony or roblox make a living but you as a gamer if you have money to spare you can spend money on all kinds of things like for example uh going to a casino uh within uh, grand uh, theft auto we can gamble real money uh so that's a take two uh, take two's game take two also acquired uh zynga recently zynga was also involved in lots of acquisitions in the last 12 months itself so it looks like there's been some consolidation going on in the publishing space plus the big tech uh also and it's not only about gaming it's a it's probably you can see it as a door towards metaverse and metaverse meaning an overlay between the real world and the online world now not everybody is uh, necessarily a, a clear fan uh, for example the C- ceo of Niantic uh, the company that is behind Pokemon Go says that a lot of people are talking about the metaverse these days and coming off 18 months of Zoom netflix and doordash you can count me out or at least in the form that most folks are imagining it and uh, and of course you can see the, the dystopian concept in a movie or a book uh by ernest klein ready player player one where everybody has abandoned reality for an elaborate uh, vr uh multiplayer game so hopefully that's not where we are headed but there are some tremendous exciting opportunities as I said you know of course subject to the regulations etc but you can um go game uh, gambling in uh, Grand Thoro or in Roblox uh you can uh, as a user even monetize your efforts and create avatars and things like this and make Robux and then you can go and sell things etc now Obviously, that is related to one more thing, which is crossplay. Uh for many years, apparently, Sony didn't support crossplay play on PlayStation, but uh, ultimately they did. And now uh, it accounts for nearly half of Fortnite's revenue, for example. So I think this will spread out the great opportunities here. One other thing I wanted to mention also, were live events within those games. I didn't know about these, but uh, you could go to a concert uh, of, a, of some DJ on a Fortnite or elsewhere. Of course, there, there were some attempts to do it within Oculus, with VR space, uh, things like this. So uh, yeah, obviously, the most people say there's no substitute for live experience, and I think there isn't. But on the other hand, if you don't live in New York, And you cannot afford to go to a great concert at Madison Square Garden, but you can afford the VR goggles um, and uh, you can take part in the concert there. Why not? Um, What are your thoughts on this, David? And have you seen any successful live events which were uh, taking advantage of, let's say, the, the community aspects of gamers and at the same time, potentially VR or AR as well?
0: There's there's so many live platforms out there right now. Everyone's trying to build the next hop in, you know, building the next event where you can get a live um, action and success. And I think the one that I'm seeing a lot of interest from, especially in the fintech and investing world right now, uh, is Stonks, stonks stonks.com. Really unique how they're taking this experience of investing and shopping live and putting it together with startups. So it's been really fascinating to make it feel like you're you're shopping for QVC-type purchases, but you're investing in, in stocks and startups. Um, so really unique. And I think there's other platforms doing it uh, for gaming. Uh, one of them that I've participated in their previous round of financing is called Grin Gaming. And Grin Gaming is doing uh, Web3 Gaming. And what I love about Grin Gaming is you can have a moment where the question is, you know, who's going to get the next uh, headshot in Fortnite? Is it going to be Ninja or Lupo? Uh, who's going to uh, increase more in value this trading session, a Shiba Inu coin or Dogecoin? Uh, and so it's very unique with these live real time moments that you can bet on. So I found a lot of really interesting platforms emerging with right
1: now Yeah, so you know, you can, uh, especially in the US, uh, you can also, uh, you know, expand this to betting and things like this. Uh, This is not our focus today, but, uh, you know, you can bet on anything, right, in some countries. In some countries, it's a little bit more restrictive. But moving on, I also wanted to talk about XAI or Explainable AI. David is also a host of his own podcast, Humane, right? So uh, a clear expert on AI. And uh, the reason is that, you know, maybe a few years ago, every fintech uh, startup Uh, Started with saying, you know, started their pitch with saying we are blockchain enabled. And then a couple of years ago, it has changed and it was AI enabled. And uh, we talked about it in previous editions where the VCs can see through it. And they say, look, uh, when we looked at the uh, AI powered startups in France, uh, 40% of them uh, had something to do with machine learning, but the rest uh, did not at all. So, uh, we are talking about, first of all, overuse of the buzzword. But the second thing is when you are using something a little bit more advanced within AI, and you can use this in FinTech as well, whether that's you know deep learning, neural networks, things like this, you start getting into a black box territory. So I think that's where XI or explainable AI comes in. So I, I let you, David, to explain it. What do, you, what do people mean by XAI? And uh, why do we need it? At its finest,
0: explainable AI or XAI means that for every input and output, there is a known direction. So if I, for example, am applying for a car refinancing, I have this car purchase I made, I want to refinance it, You know, use a product out there like Moto Refi or another, and I get a decision. I'm approved. Are not approved. I want to know. Let's go under the hood with the algorithm that made the decision underwriting. Why was I approved, or why was I not approved? And every factor and variable you can trace it back to know specifically. The reason explainable AI or XAI has been emerging in the market is because a lot of researchers and consumers have been fed up to not know why decisions being made and xai is uncovering that for businesses and consumers alike
1: great i think you know more transparency in the world the better right uh, apparently the ways to get there in this case is to document your models be transparent about it and then continuously work like this so it's not like okay we do one version we explain it to you and then three versions down the line this is something completely different and i think it would help in ai adoption right Uh, and it's not a theoretical concept Uh, i've seen an example from unicree one of the biggest insurers in the world Um, you know they developed an xai approach at their company to look at the robustness of diversification resulting from uh, their variety of portfolio allocation methods so real life companies are thinking about it this is not like a a topic for uh discussion or hate uh, tweet or retweet uh topic this is something which we should uh really uh, take care about take care of now Uh, slight detour but it's um, it reminds me also david of uh, smart contracts and their need for them to be audited So, of course, everybody says blockchain is immutable and things like that. And, you know, for the foreseeable future, of course it is. But when you're creating smart contracts, uh, nowadays, the big four is having now new practices, which do, for example, auditing of these smart contracts for you. Because if you, as a layperson, look at the smart contracts code, maybe you wouldn't know whether it really does what it's pro- promising to do, right? So do you think that we could have similar services in related to XAI as well?
0: I think in the data science and AI industry, we are evolving to a time where it's no longer going to be, you need to hire a team of 30 ninja data scientists, AI specialists, and machine learning engineers to build up an entire process. I think just like in the blockchain industry, where we're having uh, companies like Alchemy and others who are helping you build services, we're going to see the emergence of data science as a service, which means we're also going to see the emergence of explainable AI as a service. And I think that's going to be very helpful, especially for teams who don't have PhDs or postdocs and still want to build the best systems with the best governance.
1: Right. And uh, I mean, do you see similarities with auditing of smart contracts, as I mentioned?
0: So when we think about smart contract auditing and explainable AI auditing, they're both audits, right? And audit by definition means, let's go under the hood and see what we can discover. Uh, The challenge is, I think today, it's easier to audit smart contracts than it is to audit explainable AI. But When you audit a smart contract, I think we need to get very clear on what an audit means. And there's two types of audits that exist today. The first audit exists of I want to actually see where a transaction went from and to and how much gas was spent. And when we talk about smart contracts today, that is typically not the audits that are talked about. The audits that are talked about with smart contracts today are the security of these contracts. Are they actually designed to be uh, foolproof, whether they're on... uh, uh, a proof of, of stake or, or, or however they're organized to be secure. So I think the auditing is a little different. I think the explainable AI security um, can be part of it. You know, There was a, a conference I went to a couple of years ago where there was a researcher from Microsoft who said that there is a way to actually hack the AI. And and one of these cases with explainable AI was, was a system where you input NLP. You, you write some text into a system and you get an output, basically like an open AI, gpt3 system that always learns from the more text that you input so if you start putting in a very interesting phrase like uh david jacobovich loves cheese and wine david jacobovich loves cheese and wine you just say it over and over and over again and then you type some phrase out there you know david jacobovich loves tennis and uh, then it outputs you know and and likes cheese and wine it may or may not make sense and it may or may be out of context and that's the challenge we're seeing with the audit of how the data layer is being augmented and changed. Um, The second augment, though, about the case of being approved or not approved of the loan, it's still very challenging depending on how the system's built. I think we're seeing a lot of extensibility today in both the PyTorch and TensorFlow ecosystems, where there are frameworks that are going to make explainable AI easier. But it's still the early days. I think we're still in the first inning.
1: All right, that's very helpful. Uh, Thank you. Now, let's move on to the crypto crash. Unfortunately, Uh, if you are holding cryptocurrency, uh, of course, there are ups and downs or downs and ups. Either way, you look at it. Let's start with New York, though, because I was uh, quite surprised. You know, you have a a new mayor, right, uh, Eric, who announced that he would be converting his first three paychecks into Bitcoin and Ethereum using coinbase now of course uh the, the bitcoin uh has uh fallen last a few days a few weeks and uh it's not clear how much it took in bitcoin or ethereum uh what do you think about that getting paid in bitcoin or cryptocurrency is this a, a good idea or or not some people say look bitcoin is a digital gold it's not a something that is useful for to be used as a currency ethereum is more now being used for uh, the apps uh, or the, the decentralized finance even though it's losing share to other cheaper maybe more efficient uh, protocols as well so what do you think about your mayor in new york uh, getting paid in bitcoin even though apparently he cannot get to get paid by bitcoin and or ethereum directly had to convert it himself.
0: First, I'm going to be one of the first people to publicly come out and say that I love Eric Adams, and I'm excited that he is the mayor of New York City, and I'm really excited what he's going to do to help not only build New York as the capital of the world, which it was for many years, right? Remember, New York used to be where the government was before it moved to Washington, D.C., via passageway from Philadelphia, um, to get New York to, again, be at the top of its game, um, I'm really excited for Eric Adams as our mayor. Um, I met him a few years ago. We actually had him on the Humane podcast. We spoke to him during the pandemic because oh, wow. New York was building its right uh, policies uh, with uh, COVID uh, in Brooklyn when he used to be the Brooklyn Borough President, and previously um, was talking w- with him in this committee to advise on AI. Uh, currently, when he was the Brooklyn Borough President, and such a smart man, very humble, and a lot of great strategies. And his goal. From what i've discovered in, in knowing him is he just wants to adopt technology he's like let's adopt it let's build a world-class city let's build the best technology so is it going to be that bitcoin will be the savior of all crypto maybe maybe not but i think he's in the right direction of saying we need to have newer payment processing newer technologies whether they're web 2 or web 3 that can enable more people to get paid have better remittances and open up accessibility to different workers, different knowledge workers and technology workers so New York is a cutting edge place for people to live in.
1: Right, speaking of which, uh, I know Miami has Miami coin or they try to have their own cryptocurrency, so to speak. Uh, Is there anything like this uh, planned for New York?
0: I hope not, I hope not for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, I don't think so just yet, yeah
1: all right fair enough so obviously you know tough times for a cryptocurrency market even though you know things can recover quickly um i've done some research here it's not an investment advice anything like that where basically the analysts are saying look it's all going down because of the macro economy right and uh, as traditional investors have adopted more and more alternative assets and this is one of those alternative assets when things uh, turn for worse in the markets in general, they uh, get rid of the alternative assets first. So this is what's what's going on here. What is your take on this, uh, David?
0: Well, my general take, and I shared this the other day with a couple uh, couple of investors uh, in the venture capital market, is. It's too early to tell, that's actually my, my, my take. Um, I don't think in either NASDAQ, S&P, Dow territory, or in crypto territory, we've seen enough movement to indicate a correction yet. Um, and But we've seen a lot of volatility. And historically, we've seen a lot of volatility in the January and February timeframe. So, uh, I think a lot of investors are keeping their eyes on what's happening with the market, and some investors are uh, going towards liquidity, fairly so, uh, to watch from the sidelines, and others are doubling down on their positions as as the markets are going lower um, to to potentially reap the rewards of a growing market. Now, uh, nothing I'm sharing is financial advice, but this is what I'm hearing from some investors. So we're seeing both sides right now.
1: All right, I mean, there are some investors also sharing their views on Forbes magazine and elsewhere saying that, look, uh, it depends what you define as a crash right in a crypto space. If it's uh, less than if it's 25 percent drop, maybe that's not even a crash. Apparently though, since its launch in in 2009, the Bitcoin has fallen by more than 50 percent eight times. So let's see now that of course uh impacts the other um companies that are um, trading with uh, cryptocurrencies like Coinbase and its share price has plunged as well uh even though they are going to diversify launching an NFT marketplace which should be great but um you know it is um it is challenging for uh, for you know these uh, these couple of days, but let's see. I mean, of course, in some countries there has been also bans on mining uh, first that happened in China. Now in Russia, there's also uh, a disruption, right, to to the pricing.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I'll just I'll reiterate that. I think it's too early to tell. Uh, we've definitely seen uh, just in the last I think 48 hours that. Uh, Bitcoin's gone back up 25%, so uh, we have to see, it's going to be early to tell um, how much of this is signal versus
1: Right. But uh, on that point that we are not discussing investment advice here, be careful out there, see you know uh, what is your appetite for risk. Just like if you go to your advisor, they talk about where you are in life, what are your obligations, and they say, well, you should put so much in fixed, fixed income, so much in equities so much in alternative assets so probably it wouldn't be a good idea to put everything in one place uh it's never a good idea anyway but apparently in the US uh some of the companies like crypto.com are using celebrities to promote investing in crypto and uh apparently the, the, you know they run an ad with Matt Damon and uh it looks like they are planning to add another one during their Super Bowl so I guess they are the optimist, but uh, for you trying to invest your hard-earned money, let's be careful, I would say.
0: Yeah, I've never been a fan of using celebrities to advertise uh, uh, products like crypto. It kind of makes me think of the influencers on Instagram who say, buy this uh, f- face mask or, or buy this this uh, uh, energy
1: I mean, if they're using that face mask, maybe, right? But uh, it happened before as well, where a lot of celebrities were endorsing all kinds of other things, like uh, when there was the first ICO wave, right? The initial coin offerings. And there were people who had nothing to do with finance, nothing, you know, they didn't invest their own money. So it seems kind of uh, it's kind of unfair uh, for to ask somebody to, to pay up and spend their investments and um and they don't or they don't have they are not an authority on that topic and uh, there is no real process behind it so it's you know i would have thought there would be a little bit stricter consumer protection there uh, but uh, maybe there will be uh hopefully not too late for for a lot of people now let's move on to maybe one the downer uh depends how you look at it of course if you are able and willing to share uh to short stocks know that i recommend to do it or anything like that you know there are some companies who took you know their share prices took a noise nose nosedive during the pandemic some are because uh of course their business was disrupted people couldn't go and shop in retail stores or couldn't go to events or etc. They changed to completely digital virtual experiences, but there are some that are digital first and highly innovative companies. But if you bought the shares or stock in them, you probably would have been disappointed like Lemonade. Like, so Lemonade, a very famous intratech that promised or still promising to revolutionize the, uh, how you go about insurance, not only the U.S. or, you know, their home country, Israel, but uh, all around European market as well, going to different um, different markets. They uh, they also bought their uh, competitor, MetroMill, same thing for both of them. Um, you know, their share price uh, has tanked. Um, so, and well, I think I know what the people are saying, why that happened, but I'd like to hear from you David as well do you think again you know this has been already a year and a half for example of uh, continuous you know um decrease in the share price what what should you do here uh with the companies like Lemonade and other intratech companies that are using the best technology that is there and uh, they're supposed to be much better than um you know your traditional uh, traditional uh, insurers, whether that's not we talking about car insurance or everything, anything else, but some of them, even their loss ratios is worse than the incumbents or it's increasing. Uh, how is that possible?
0: I'm a big fan of Israel founded startups, and Lemonade is one of those startups that was founded between Tel Aviv and, and New York City. So, first big fan of the product, uh, previously used the product. As well. I had great experience actually with my insurance with them until I had a claim. Uh, So one thing I discovered in the process is that Lemonade is not an actual insurance company. Um, They are a broker and they work with third party. And so they predominantly, they manage these margins by not owning anything in the business. And that's what happens, and, and you start to look at some of the reviews for Lemonade on the Better Business Bureau and other platforms, and they have these horrific reviews. I mean, you don't see any of these reviews with State Farm, Allstate, or any of the big companies, and it's because they've decided, we're going to be a tech platform, but we're not going to be an insurance company. So they have a really good marketing arm, but a, but a very poor and deceptive insurance company. So, you know, for me, uh, my experience is I no longer use lemonade. Uh, So, you know, I may not be the only one in that boat. Uh, Great marketing, not so great product. And, you know, I think they can improve. And I think that's the challenge. If you're going to build an insurance tech company, you need to build a company that is insurance and tech, not just tech. Because otherwise, you're going to get beaded in the market, which is what we're seeing with lemonade now and soon later uh, customers are no longer going to have loyalty to your product.
1: So it sounds like the front end is nice and sleek but because they're a broker that depends on the outdated infrastructure of their of the incumbents in the background they cannot back it up when something bad happens, right? Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah it's like imagine you were to go to uh, the Met Gala in New York City And you find this amazing people dressed up in in, uh, beautiful dresses and and makeup and hair and everything. And then the sprinklers go off. And then when the sprinklers go off, all the makeup comes down. The dresses, you realize they're just like from goodwill. They're trash. And you realize that there really was nothing there in the first place. It was all just facade and mirrors. That's what we're kind of seeing with some of these tech companies today. Not saying that that is everything that's lemonade, but that is part of the truth, because they don't own any of the
1: insurance operations. Right. I think this is a great, uh, great explanation. I mean, I've also seen uh, some entrepreneurs and investors saying that look, uh, they rushed to go public too quickly, uh, that the founders were interested in an exit a little bit more than in building their company. It depends that they wanted to take care, of, you know, take advantage of the of the great markets that we had because of the uh, pandemic support and things like that, but. Um, uh, you know, they should have waited like uh, Uber, you know, that went public after 10 years or others. I think people can have different views on this. In in the good old days, maybe people didn't take 10 years to go for an IPO, maybe in Lemonet's case, this was a little bit too early. Uh, who knows? But I think your explanation is actually right on the money, and it's and uh, and you know, this is really the issue where, um. A lot of the incumbents, sometimes they don't work with the fintechs, but they develop a digital front-end and uh, the back-end is still the same as before. So very nice with onboarding, but when you really want something of substance, then uh, then good luck to you, right? So you know you can also have a lot of B2B fintechs that are working with uh, with the big incumbents And I think um, very often they say, look, uh, we don't have an ambition to revamp your entire IT infrastructure, the old bank, but we have these nice APIs. We just plug it into your old infrastructure and everything will be great. But I would be quite cautious of that, right? Because the end-to-end has to work nicely, not just the front end. And um, then... um, what are you going to do if that infrastructure just keeps being, you know, pushed back in terms of upgrade and technological debt grows? Right. So, maybe one last point on this. You know, everybody's talking about let's just use APIs, plug it into whatever octopus of outdated infrastructure you have, and that's fine. Uh, do you think that maybe everyone should be a little bit more? Um, more uh, ambitious and uh, try to go for a bit of a deeper transformation of the incumbents
0: i think so i think when you build a company the goal is to take new technology and apply it to existing or new business models and to build something that is generational and to do that look you can't transform everything's in the beginning right so when you build you have to pick your niche where you're going to focus down and transform that part of the business and then continue to expand with the transformation i think the goal in any business though is making sure that you are constantly innovating that you don't stop one day and say oh we're done with innovation if you stop innovating guess what you are no longer a startup the definition of a startup is a company that is using technology and businesses to innovate and disrupt markets And so, you know, when a company goes public, they could still innovate, but they're no longer.
1: Right. Um, Whether they're still a startup or not, I think they should always innovate. But of course, the reality bites when you're a listed company and you need to produce consistent results. So you become a little bit more risk averse. But in any case, that's another discussion we actually had on the podcast as well with uh, Financial Services Capital, a private equity firm in Europe that has a thesis that look, uh, the bank's IT infrastructure uh, is often very outdated, unlike in the US where there was a lot of consolidation among the banks, Europe, because a post-financial crisis, the regulators wanted to build their own home champions. Uh, there was not uh, much or if any cross-border MNA activity. All the banks are going through rationalization on their own and uh, they don't invest uh, sufficiently in IT infrastructure. At the same time, they are listed. So they cannot afford uh, a big uh, big transformational exercises. So the thesis of that firm is that, look, uh, you should take these banks private and then you can do, a much more radical revamp of the IT infrastructure so maybe one last uh, comment from your side on 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 this what do you think is there a an advantage to for a bank to be privately held if they want to uh, revamp their IT infrastructure or there are it's not a visible uh, advantage versus a listed
0: There's quite a few credit unions we're seeing out today that have incredible technology, building mobile applications, building all the technology to make them on par for what you would see from the big players like Wells Fargo and and TD Ameritrade and HSBC. Do you need to be listed publicly or not to do that? I don't think so because technology is behind the scenes. It's the infrastructure. So whether you're in the public markets or not, that won't make as much of an impact to be public Public is really about raising another round of capital uh, and then having just different stakeholders. When you're a private company, you could have investors, and those investors sway the board and your executives and how to grow and define the business and technology. The same thing happens when you're public. You just have different stakeholders and a different fiduciary responsibility that you owe towards. Uh, so if being public helps you accelerate that market adoption, in the financing to build that technology and awareness and go for it. But otherwise, we're seeing companies like Dell and others that have gone private again because they're saying, we don't need all that spotlight. We can get it done in the private.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that's what I meant. You know, maybe you are under pressure from short term uh, perspectives of some of your investors. On the other hand, it may give you, of course, uh, access to another pool of investors so it depends on case by case but uh, let's see how that develops how that uh, debate on modernization of banking develops around the world what we talked about today was uh, gaming and fintech or metaverse uh trying to see how you can create marketplaces monetization strategies within gaming space what does that mean big tech companies buying uh, games publishers uh in terms of uh the market as well we talked about explainable ai or xai why is it needed and what it means Uh, why is it not a good idea to rely on a black box uh, especially as we move on from simpler to more and more complicated uh, ai models we talked about the recent crypto prices developments see how that uh, develops uh you know uh, keep uh, patient uh, keep being patient if you are in if you have invested in the markets uh, watch out for everybody's obviously uh, having a different agenda when they comment on this this is not necessarily a mature market yet of course as we mentioned this is part of the alternatives and the alternatives of the alternatives right and then lastly we talked about the question marks around intratech revolution right a lot of the promises that uh, uh were made by each of the companies uh sometimes their investors haven't seen uh fulfilled yet but uh hopefully the uh, still the jury is still uh, jury is still out uh, out there so we'll see how that develops as well so i think for the focus of this month it has been uh, quite exciting on balance positive uh, developments in gaming metaverse of course, in AI all the time, crypto, as we know, going up and down, and Intratech, unfortunately, uh, uh, a little bit of a downer right now, but uh, hopefully uh, with um, you know, with the ad- advice of David that you have given some of them, uh, hopefully the things will turn around for them as well.
0: Like any market, right? There will always be ups and downs, but always think about the long term. That's what I, I think is one of the best advice that I've heard. and. Why I still look up to the, the great sage of Omaha, Warren Buffett, right? Look at it for the long term, look for those value add businesses. Uh, and you can't go wrong if you look at it. Where will things be in, let's say, five, 10, 20?
1: Exactly. So long term investing, think about that. Be patient and um, listen to the voice of fintech. You can listen to the recording of this in uh, if still probably this week. And I'll put the notes to some of the, the press articles and the research that we mentioned here. And thank you very much for, for joining another session on Fishbowl. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at voiceofintech.com. Happy to hear from you. Thank you.